Motasa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Namo Tasa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Namo Tasa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Putang Tamang Sankang Namasami So it's the observance day. We just heard the Patimoka, Ajantam, Alfredo's Patimoka, first time here. We have a strong Sangha. We have four very, very good Patimoka chanters, including our very own Venerable Atalu. So uh, these, are, these are signs that maybe not important for lay people because you don't see it happening. But for us, there's, there's signs of commitment and strength to the tradition. The rituals that, that we do, these gatherings, but they bring us together uh, as community and they remind us of things we've heard before. So I always find coming together with a group like this where you've all heard it all before, I never know what to say. This is why I'm first in a rice line, so I try to say something. But it's not about new information, is it? It's just you know, coming together and re- being reminded of our common purpose, our common aspiration. And if the words aren't inspiring or new, that's okay, isn't it? It's some, somehow we do this, we create community. We're not just isolated individuals struggling for our own liberation. You know, that, we, that we reflect off of each other, we have friction, we have harmony. But in the end, at the end of the day, there's something, I think, deeply um, connected uh, with all of us in, in a way that is not just about our personalities or our personal preferences or the woes and sorrows or happiness or unhappiness that we experience in a day. Somehow we realize our aspiration is about Dhamma, it's about transcending uh, our own karmic situations and and giving each other the space to make mistakes, to be diligent, be not diligent, uh, be on your game, be not on your game. This is the the beauty of community life, and that has to be lived for for long periods of time before we get to know each other and and we practice a lot of encouragement and and forgiveness and humor and non-humor and and. This is, I find, very helpful. Very helpful to be connected to community, to be connected to fellow travelers on this journey. Uh, as 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 a community, we also you know, we care for each other. Um, and one of the things I've often told people about my mother's, when I took care of my mother, I could see in her that. Um, because she didn't have much uh, physical strength and vitality Um, in that last nine years of her life I was doing most of the physical care and and you could see that she really missed that uh, that chance to care for me she did in words, she did in emotions and she kept trying to buy me stuff that I might need but it was interesting watching that dual relationship of um, caring for someone but also having someone to care 
four. And this is this is important that that sometimes we as human beings we uh, are are happy to care for, but we don't know how to be cared for. We're happy to care for others, but we don't have the skill of actually allowing others to care for us. And there's a gracefulness in that, being able to accept that someone wants to help you rather than saying, no, 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 I'm okay, I want to do this myself. Um, that, that can be very self-sufficient, but it can also block the flow of love. And so what we try to do in Sangha life is not just have a knee-jerk reaction of self-sufficiency. No, 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 I'm okay, I can do it myself. But pause and have enough compassion and empathy to look at the person who's offering the help and think about them rather than thinking about ourselves. And this is this interesting one when, when someone is sick or someone needs help, that person should learn how to be cared for. In the Sangha, this is very important to, to be a good, a good patient. Uh, now, you know, feelings of being strong and self-sufficient—they're—they're they're good. We don't want to end up being um, mollycoddled and babied so that we can't—we have no strength, we have no endurance. So it's not a matter of taking a position; it's a matter of connecting to other people, both in the mode of caring for and being cared for. So the time with my mom was very beautiful because she she needed care and I had the time and she was grateful and she allowed herself to be cared for. She was very good, very good that way. She made no problems, no difficulties, uh, and I could I could help her. The, the, the kind of self-sufficiency, strength that, that we can experience, that is, is, is a good quality. But to be mindful, and to be aware, you might, you know, we have to look at um, any position we take. You know, the position that I should be self-sufficient, I don't need anything from anyone, uh, is, is just another ego position. And it, and it can be strong, and it can be impressive even. You know, it can be very impressive, but sometimes it misses the mark because it lacks love, love for ourselves or, or, or empathy for the person who wants to actually look out for us. Certainly there are extremes of people who are just indulgent and over-cared for, but I don't think that is especially a problem here. Or, or people who care too much and get burnt out in their caring, there's that too. So there's many, many modes and variations on that theme. But, but to look at, to look at, like to be able to pause and see, well, my reaction is, I don't need any help. And then to pause and say, well, wait a minute, there's a person wanting to help me. Maybe, how can I facilitate that? How can I facilitate that act of generosity? Because if the act of generosity is blocked, the person feels frustrated. And that flow of love is frustrating into something else, maybe. Annoyance or not wanting to be bothered or whatever. So um, this is something to consider. Our, our, our There's a kind of interesting strength in being cared for, being a good patient. 
It's a different kind of a strength. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the strength of mindfulness, really. The strength of, of being present to the whole situation, not just what I'm experiencing right now, but to be present to everyone around me, and say, okay, well, and look and say, yeah, that would be good. And if not, if it doesn't look right, that's fine too. But it comes from a sense of appropriateness, mindfulness, empathy, compassion, rather than just knee-jerk. I'm all right. I'm all right. All right. So this is one of many things as human beings we, we just are our, our ego personalities just pop up in these fixed ways uh, and and it takes a long time to learn about these things it doesn't happen overnight so to be a to be a good a good patient and to be to care for people who are sick these are uh, a beautiful part of community a really lovely part of community this morning I was just pondering with it, kind of hard to talk about the difference between um, um, knowledge and insight. Knowledge in terms of um, knowing something um, from having heard it or read about it from another person, and then insight itself. And the analogies I always come up with are analogies of, of work and creation. I was just thinking about, like, we've been talking about kitchen management and so on. Um, like cooking, say, learning how to cook, where uh, some sometimes we get young men who have never cooked before, even old men, <laughs> that, that, that feel quite lost in the kitchen. They can do all kinds of other things. And then they're just watching, like, not, not anyone here right now. <laughs> watching sometimes, like, people will have uh, cookbooks then a panic get the cookbook out and then start oh yeah you put how much how much salt a uh, quarter quarter teaspoon how much is a teaspoon and how much lemon and then they get all the ingredients and then they keep looking at the book and they cook a meal but then next time oh get another recipe and cook a meal until at some point you get someone like who's been cooking a long time uh, who just knows, oh, how much salt do you put in? Oh, you just put a little bit in. And how do you make it? To, oh, yeah, you put some bay leaves in or something like that. So there's a kind of learning there, isn't there, from the, the knowledge from the recipe book or the cookbook. And then one understands boiling, one understands frying, one understands baking, one understands mixing, cutting, what things go together, what don't, uh, what you can do with a all the different things you can do with a potato, how you deal with grains and beans and so on and so forth. And then, so whatever food is available, the person that has those insights into cooking, all those insights, then says, oh yeah, I got that, 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 oh, I don't, they go for it, they make a meal. Uh, and that's, that's the same, that's kind of the same with insight, is that in the beginning we have, we have the knowledge from others or from books or whatever, and we start to apply that knowledge, and, and our insights are very personal, but they're relevant. They're, 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 they, cause why are they relevant? Because they work. They make a good stew. Huh? You know they work. You get confident. And then the thing about insights is that they're, they're, they're adaptable to all situations. Just like a recipe might be only pertinent to the ingredients for that particular type of food, it's not really portable. 
but understanding boiling and cooking and all the other elements, uh, taste and salt and uh, in, 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 in cooking, then there's an adaptability that goes across all situations. The same with Dhamma. Real insight is very, it's very adaptable. It, 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 it goes from situation to place to place. It's not just contained in one book at one time, one situation. So the, oftentimes when there is not insight, people keep going back and referencing books and things like that, which are okay to get some kind of confidence. But after a while, you don't really well, there's enough information there. There's enough information there. Now I need to kind of cook a bit more. Try a bit more cooking. So there's a, there's a, there's a kind of adaptability there. And from that adaptability, there's also kind of, I think, creativity. You understand how to do things in your practice. So say like, like I was, I got a master class in ladder making and router use from Crawford the other day. He's, he's, a, he's a really wonderful, uh, inspiring craftsman. And I'm quite afraid of routers. They sort of, these powerful machines that do amazing things. So we were working on ladders for the lofts of the Kutis. And I started to get a little more confidence, understood how to use a router, understand how to use the jig he had made, and so on. And of course that then gives me a certain uh, confidence and strength and insight. And that allows me to say, oh yeah, I could use that tool to do this, I could do that. It gives me a kind of breadth of uh, application around that. And it's the same with insight. Insight is the same. You understand something about suffering and the end of suffering, specifically how it, how it um, applies to your own karma, to your own psyche. And then you, you begin to really apply it uh, constantly. And that's Dhamma, that's what we mean by Dhamma, understanding the way things are. Um, one of the obvious, obvious things about our, our, our practice, it's so obvious it's almost ridiculous to talk about it, but we forget, is that to practice the Dhamma we need to make intentions. And for example, say I was, I was uh, on the computer the other day trying to sort out an Indian visa, and it's done all online. And uh, they ask amazingly when, where was your father born, and what country was he born in, and where was your mother born? And there's uh, this, this series of hoops that one has to jump through. And of course the site kept collapsing on me as I got through three hoops and I kind of reached it and then all my information was wiped out. And I spent a morning, two days doing this on and off, on and off. And then I finally gave up and I phoned their offices and they have um, they have another company, the Indian Embassy has another company doing the visas, which is located near the Embassy. So I finally got their phone number, and I, after a long wait listening to Bach, I think it was, 
which is a you know nice fun tone. Um, finally, I got a human being, and I told him my problem, and he said, "Well, we could we could do it for you. We have someone I could I could I could switch a life. You could do it verbally." I said, "Oh yeah, really? Uh, oh. But it'll cost you twenty dollars." And I thought, "Is this a scam? <laughs> Are they making this website crash?" So they can make 20 bucks on this poor monk. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. Can I, can I have their phone number? He said, oh, well, it's just in our offices. All right. So anyway, during this process, I felt various modes of stress coming up. Any of you who've been through this modern, torturous situation that we're in. And what I had to keep doing, and coming back to what I was mentioning, is I had to make the intention to practice. Seems obvious, but I had to keep making the intention. This isn't about just getting my visa. It is, sure, yeah, I need to do that. But it's also about uh, being uh, frustrated by technology and, and wanting something to happen and wanting a result and, and thinking this is a waste of time. I could be making a ladder or whatever, right? And each time the frustration arose, I keep ha I, I have to make the intention to practice, and that's 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 very very obvious. But how often do we and do we all are we all in human situations where we don't make that intention? And what is practice then in that sense? What is it? And then that's a good example, isn't it? Well, practice first of all seems to me is is really right making conscious that the stress or the suffering right now. Making that, letting that become fully conscious. Oh, this is this is you know, there's suffering going on. Now, making that conscious is different than just suffering. I can be suffering and pressing buttons, and then the thing crashes, and then it's all stupid embassy, and so on. I mean, I know I'm suffering, but I haven't really made it conscious. I'm just reacting. I'm reacting to the situation. But when I make something conscious, that is sati. I, I remember the moment. I recollect the moment, and I recollect this moment is not a, not a peaceful moment, it's a contracted moment. And that intention is, is the beginning of bhavana, that's what we mean by bhavana. That awakening, that opening, that making conscious the situation again and again and again. And you, can, you, have, you can't just sort of make the intention once, you have to keep doing it. So it's a sustained intention, and that's where determination, aditana, comes in. Aditana is the is sustaining a an intention for long periods of time, determining, determination, aditana, sustaining an intention and reapplying it. We talk about reapplying this attention, intention again and again and again. And that's bhavana. And then that intention, where does where does it what, what's its source? What is it rooted in? It's rooted in understanding non-grasping, rooted in understanding attachment, rooted in understanding what leads to peace, rooted in understanding what leads to more suffering, and all those different insights that we've gotten from cooking. You know, all of us have. Quite a lot of insight, you know. We, we've been cooking a while, <laughs> or we've been cooked a while. So you know, we've seen, we've seen Anicca Dukkanata. We've seen how 
how this is not self, this is simply an object. We, we have that, we have that in us because we are practitioners, we've done that for a while. But to recollect that, to make that conscious and to apply that is bhavana. So when, when in my little dance with the technology, I could, uh, I remembered that, then it was actually peaceful. So I listened to Bach for a while. <laughs> And put it on the on the thing, and and then I just just kind of I still had to do it, still had to figure it out. But each time, the most frustrating was when it would crash. Right, all that information has been entered, and then all of a sudden, I would get this error signal, just this blank page with it with a frown, <laughs> a kind of digital frown, and some gobbledygook which I didn't understand. Back to and, then, and right there, there's the frustration, and then ah, and you awaken. This is frustration. Frustration's this way, and then there's no person in it. There's simply frustration, and it ceases, and it's ending. Oh yeah, that's bhavana. That's bhavana. And all right, go start again. Actually, it's quite interesting. It's not very productive in terms of. I still don't have the visa, but in terms of dhamma practice, it's fine. Very fine. Now, obviously, I don't. I don't have a deadline, right? I don't have. To, I don't have a boss breathing down my throat and saying, "So, what did you do the last hour?" <laughs> that's different. Obviously, that's more and more different and more and more stress because it's more complicated. But still, if it's more complicated, still, when he steep, keep having to make the intention to practice. What is practice? You know? So, practice is all the time. It's not just a. Zafu kind of experience where you sit on your cushion and then you practice. It has to be all the time because we are making karma 24-7 even in our dreams. So, so the capacity to, to make, make this, this life of ours seamless, you know, to make these insights that we have that, that come to us, that, we, that grow in us as intuitions, to make those something that is operating all the time seamlessly. Just like the, 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 the experienced uh, cook goes into the kitchen and just sees, yeah, okay, there's that, not much, but I'll do it. I can pull something off here. In the same way, it's a, yeah, it's a difficult situation now with these people or with my health or whatever, but I can pull it off. I can, I can use this for practice. So everything can be used for practice, can it? Uh, and, and practice doesn't mean that we're, you know, that we're somehow cook a great meal because <laughs> sometimes the karma we have the kind of karmic tendencies we have like the karmic tendency maybe to be really self-sufficient is so strong that it overrides even our intention to pause and to look at that well that's fine and we just say oh wow that's really powerful so we are you know we are engaged in, in, in powerful energies and the sources of which sometimes we don't even know where they're coming from we don't know why, why? And that's why we need a lot of patience with each other. You know, that, that some person um, might have the intention to awaken to forceful habits, but lo and behold, the karmic situation comes up and those, those, those forces of whatever they might be are so powerful they just overwhelm mindfulness. And that, I think, requires forgiveness for both ourselves and others. We have boundaries. We have precepts, and you know we have 
uh, monastic etiquette and, and, and so on. So it was very, very helpful for protecting us. But um, it's, it's sometimes our karma is bigger than our intentions, bigger than our... Because none of us want to um, be uncool. None of us want to... You know, we'd like to be empathetic and compassionate and sensitive and be able to press the pause button whenever, but it's just not in the cards sometimes. So allowing for that and, and coming back to Lompos Sumedo's phrase, it all belongs. Even even the um, seeming errors and excesses that we get caught up into, that belongs to. And we make the intention again and again and again, reawaken, reboot the thing, come on, start again, okay, here I am, this is the way it is now million times a day. Now if you have if you have in your practice, if you if you can develop some you know what a touchstone is? You know a touchstone is you can have a stone in your pocket, I don't have pockets. And you gotta touch it just to kind of ground yourself. Mala beads are sometimes touchstones. You take your mala beads and you chunk 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 don't have to do a mantra, you're just grounded. You're grounded in, in the in the tactile feeling of the round wood and just in the in the movement of the thumb, pushing the malas down, another one, another one, another one. That's that's like a touchstone. You're touching the earth. Uh, you're 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 grounding yourself. Um, and if 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 folk can if you can develop touchstones that remind you of bhavana uh, remind you of centeredness, remind you of an attitude which is appropriate and liberating, uh, keep keeping bringing you back to all those insights you already have. Yeah. If you have a personal touchstone, that's really, really good to develop. So as we've all read in Lopez Semedo's books, uh, his development of the sound of silence, you know, that's his touchstone. He uses that all the time in Venerable Chunda was relating a story where Paul Sumedha was being driven somewhere and the driver was uh, talking, 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 talking and at the end of the drive, the driver apologized and uh, told Lumpo, I, I hope I didn't take you away from the sound of silence. And apparently Lumpo said, nothing takes me away from the sound of silence. So he's developed his touchstone so powerfully that he's you know, always grounded with that. Some people have have the breath. Some people just do a gata. I like the heart chakra. I like I like I like body energy. I, I find uh, knowing the body as an energetic form, and then understanding this moment through its energy manifestations, its tensions, its openness, its closeness, its contraction, and uh, very much, very especially the the heart chakra. I found that to be uh, a good touchstone. So that personally, when I'm when I'm engaged with stuff and, and I'm I'm reacting, like yeah, say even even with the uh, with the computer and the um, my dance with the visa forms, uh, I I use the heart chakra to fill the visa form. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, <laughs> but actually when I'm when I when I let go of the tension of trying to get this thing done. And I come back to a heart-centered way of operating, then I do it. I even find that with woodwork when I'm like I am. I'm trying to develop 
I have a, I have some bad habits in in work where if I'm doing a project when I start to get towards the end of finishing the project I start to rush it and then usually blow it and and so I've been trying to use that that very um, the very kind of craft kind of thing in me which likes craft and then trying to do it carefully and usually I can start carefully if, if I'm in a frame if I'm not in a good frame I just don't go in there but if I'm in that frame I start quite well and then I start when, when does the first sense of trying to get this finished when does that come up when does the first feeling of of um, cutting a corner to get it done more quickly when does that come up and I find if I go to the heart and I'm back I'm settled and then I then I, I, I do it much, much better. I have much work to do. It's a really uh, unskillful habit I have. My dad used to call me sloppy job maker because <laughs> I, would, I would get to a point and then not, not, not do it well. So, so this is practice, you know, just like you know, this, is, this would be a good thing for me to learn. Um, and Venerable Chemical gives me lots of space to do such things. And uh, so, so you know, the, the idea of bhavana, not just being a formal practice. A formal practice is incredibly valuable and we, we encourage it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. But if, if, if what you're doing in your formal practice, if you have touchstones in your formal practice, that, that then you can remember in your uh, more mundane parts, ordinary parts of your life, then that becomes again seamless. The insights, practices that you do in formal uh, postures then begin to flow into cooking and making boxes or ladders or whatever you're doing. Um, as opposed to formal practice being something which is very refined and and um, just defined by a certain posture. It has some portability, but 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 it doesn't really doesn't have the um, strength to transfer into something more complicated or, or difficult or, or confusing. Whereas if, because when you do formal practice, you're putting very strong intentions in, aren't you? You know, moment by moment, you've got nothing else to do. Your intentions for bhavana are very strong. I'm not, I'm, you know, because you just even even if you have a bad meditation, your your intentions are strong. So you build up strong intentions, uh, and that and that same idea that you know when I'm working on a computer or I'm in the workshop or I'm on the cushion, um, uh, all of it I, I need to constantly bring up intention. I need constant. This is what I'm doing. This is practice. This is practice. This person is practice. I'll constantly have to keep doing that. So if the formal practice then has that understanding in it, that wisdom, that insight, to go into uh, worldly, more worldly kind of things, and the worldly things are not worldly, they are Dharma practice. They're very, very, very skillful, very helpful. Oh, so each of us has our own character, our own uh, preferences and and skills and deficits and karmic uh, situations and age and gender and such like. But that bhavana is, is, you know, there's a common commonality there. You know, that's why we can talk about it. The awakened mind, the application of effort, sustained effort, the use of ubaya and skillful means 
the use of metta bhavana for anger, the use of asuba for lust, and you know we have all these lovely, lovely teaching which we, uh, as we, as we pick these things up as knowledge, we become very good cooks. We know when asuba is appropriate, we know metta is appropriate, we know the breath uh, helps, and so you don't have to think about it so much. You don't have to read about it. You don't have to get someone else's information. Your, your intuition now is connected to both a, a body of knowledge, but that body of knowledge now is yours. You've claimed it, not as an, as a, as an ego position, but as insight. And so it goes from a body of knowledge to confidence, uh, to clarity, to adaptability, all those kinds of things. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. <coughs> Andamiyam Tamakata Satu Kabrang Tatama Se Sadu Sadu